people are completing a PhD each year? Uh, well, 100,000 um, doctoral researchers in the UK at the moment, okay? So, big number. Yeah, thank you. What about next one? 71% of early career researchers on permanent contracts have dot, 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 while 25% have. So, what do you reckon? 71% of early career researchers who manage to get a permanent contract, what would you say that they have done or have? Sorry? A PhD. Yeah, yeah, yes, definitely a PhD. And um, anything else beyond that as well? Work experience. Work experience, yeah, I have been on fixed term contracts, okay? So often, when I haven't worked with. Um, postdoctoral researchers, but often I know from the other labour markets that I work with, people kind of feel fixed-term contract, that's not as good as another one, yeah? It may not be where you want to be, but recognising that actually within this labour market, people tend to get to criminal contracts by fixed-term contracts. Sorry, can you clarify what this labour market is? So when you talk about a post in academia, what's, your, what's the criteria of academia? So, well, I, I suppose I'm thinking of um, things like postdoctoral fellowships and um, lecturing posts. In, this, in universities? Yes, or? in universities. Um, but obviously, it, I mean, it varies according to discipline, and it is a broad church, but I was thinking carrying quite a, quite a loose topic, so that's, what, that's how I've chosen to, to focus on it. I just wanted to kind of know what the... Yeah. Definition well, basically, by comparison with the other section, which is about the other ways in which you could be using your PhD beyond beyond universities and research. So, for example, consultancy, uh, other thought leadership. The, you know, the, the other the other range of, of opportunities to use your PhD. But it is a yeah. Um, so, all, so just to say, for those of you, and again, just um, tying in with the previous, um, the previous session, it varies dramatically by discipline. So, for example, for those of you who are specialising in arts and humanities, um, actually 25% of the people who move on to permanent roles have actually had three fixed-term contracts nowadays. Okay, so, so, so just again about managing expectations, because in career guidance, often you see people who are doing incredibly well, who are feeling discouraged, disheartened, they're feeling that they're getting negative messages back from job interviews. And I think it, it just matters to frame things in, in that way, that actually to recognise where people are at. 49% um, 49% um, of people who've got PhDs are working in higher education three and a half years after they finish their graduate, after they've graduated. Yeah, so again, that's from VTI research from 2013. So 49% are working in higher education. Um, sorry, I'm just looking. Another 6.5% are in different research roles, and 6.3% are working in education, um, so in schools, for example. However, there is a tiny, tiny proportion who are unemployed. And one of the, one of the messages that comes over is that there is, there is most definitely a return on investment for doing a PhD. People with PhDs... Um, statistically are earning better three and a half years after graduation than people who graduated, who did an undergraduate degree and got a first, or people who graduated with a master's. But however, it's not, it is a prolonged transition to get to where people want to be. And the applications per post, so what do you reckon? Applications per post to University of Warwick postdoctoral research fellowships. Were any, how, how many? Um, 90. 1975, any, any other? 40. 40. And it's actually led, it's um, 100, well, 116 applications for five posts, okay, so that's 23 to 1. However, Clare College, Cambridge, 230 applications for one post. Wow. Okay, so it's, it's competitive, but, you know, it's not necessarily all as competitive as the 230 to 1. So, As with many other highly competitive job markets, for example, I work with law, I work with finance, um, with journalism, um, international development. It differs by discipline, but there are likely to be prolonged transitions, yeah? And I think it's important to state that up front so people don't feel it's them, it's personal, yeah? Um, 
And so some of the implications, that was for jobs which are advertised. Yeah? Some of the implications for you personally might be to focus more of the efforts on building a reputation and um, networking, creative job search, so you actually initially build the reputation with jobs that aren't advertised or that are less advertised, okay? Because I think it's important to place it in context. So, how far is academia an informed decision for you? Um, Often people feel it's kind of a seamless conveyor belt from having done a PhD, and that's great if that's where you're at. I just want to suggest that if you decide not to progress at this stage or if you decide to come back to it, it's not about feeling you're a failure. Um, and the role is also very different from how people might imagine it from the outside. So I think part of the, part of the issues to consider are which are the aspects that appeal to you, but also how informed is your choice? How far have you actually spoken with new academics, with people who are five years on, on from you, from people who are 10 years on from you, from people who are f 15 years on in the profession from you? Do you? How far do you know what the stresses are, what the realities are nowadays, and what the, what the really great bits are, what gets people singing? Because it, it kind of matters before you actually embark on, uh, on the process. I think it's worth thinking about, you know, which are the aspects that appeal, and I think that particularly matters as well because um, there are other ways to build those into a life. Um, that doesn't mean necessarily you give up on the dream, it just means to, to be clear what the aspects are that matter to you. And for example, a personal example, I, um, I lived and worked in Kenya for four years, and when coming back to Britain, one of the things that really, I really, really missed were the big horizons. Um, and I, you know, I've got a smallish house, um, and, you know, big horizons are not going to be part of my life, you know, my life plan. And having actually identified, do you know what, I'm not going to manage those big horizons. I bought a garden bench. And every morning, you know, for 40 quid, I can sit in my garden and have my early morning cup of tea and see those big horizons. It's not Kenya, but it is something that really matters to me on a very deep level. So I would really suggest being clear what is it that matters to you which are the bits that appeal about academia? And consider, in the meantime, what are the capsule bits that you can build it in? Yes, so for example, if you're wanting to have that interplay, that, inter you know, that, 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 that debate, how can you build that in the meantime? Because that's also a great experience for when you come to the job applications. But in the meantime, it feeds and nourishes you through the PhD, through a prolonged transition. I think it matters to be... Um, to begin with the end in mind. So if, for example, your aim is to be um, selected in application um, to be successful as an academic, to get, to get a full-time post, um, actually having some idea of how applications are weighted matters. And again, it does vary dramatically by discipline, and we're going to come on to this. But on some application panels, for example, 75% of the weight, I'm told, informally goes on publications. Again, that... that that varies by discipline, that varies by institution. But it, it matters to be aware for yourself what matters for you, which kind of institutions you're interested in, and actually what, what the breakdown is going to be. What are the things, I know these are the questions that people were asking, but what are the things that actually matters for these application panels in the area that you're interested in? Okay, so just, just to touch briefly, because I think with... With transitions that are, um, are difficult, where you're gathering up a whole range of thoughts from different, from, from different areas, it can help to have a little framework to think, OK, that's not a stray thought, that actually links to this. So in career planning, one of the models which is very prevalent in the UK is the DOTS model. So self-awareness, you start with self, and some of the thoughts that there may be around there are actually, what are my strengths, what are my weaknesses, where are the areas where I thrive, what is it that I like or dislike about my current role? There's opportunity awareness, so the labour market out there. You know, what are the possible roles that might interest me? What are the possible institutions? Where is there geographically close to me? How flexible can I be geographically? What are the differing requirements and implications for me of the different contexts in these institutions? What does that mean in terms of my skill set? The decision-making. So for us as... You know, you, you've been part-time doctoral researchers. You've, I know from chatting to people over lunch, you've got jobs, you've got families, you've got other, other things that are, matter to you. And your midlife, and so you've got your own values. 
what are your values? What are, what are your red line issues? And I think it really matters to be clear about that because that helps with the decision making, that helps with the prioritisation. This is what I want to do and not that or less that. This I will do as a stepping stone to that. And then the bit which everybody understands career guidance is about, but transition learning, so the tactics. Um, tactics, networking, disclosure, actually how you, how you say things in applications and in interviews. Okay, so I think, I'm guessing, particularly with a PhD where you've invested so much time and effort into it, it's very easy probably to be talking about where you're coming from, which is clearly part of, a really key part of the process of writing up. But just to, just to state really clearly, for a job application process, it's a bit of a sales job. Um, and in any sales job, you're wanting to be very, very clear what the need is of the employer. Yeah? And then it's what's the evidence that you've got. How, how far can you meet those needs and how credible can you be on how you meet those needs? So I would suggest that it really matters probably to stand back from your research at this point and the bit that so many job seekers don't do and particularly when they're very involved in the process they don't do enough research and they don't do enough research on actually the needs of the organisation and the context that it's in. If you, if you kind of think about any high-risk decision that you've taken, um, what have been the factors that have actually helped you to feel you're in good hands? I needed to use a solicitor recently, um, and in the end I did go for somebody who was more expensive, but she was very, very feisty, and I was completely convinced she had my back. And I thought that was, that was, really, that was helpful for me as I stood back from the process, just in the sense of... Um, Actually, that's how I made this decision. If you think of high-risk decisions you've made, you want to be completely sure that you're in safe hands. And the evidence that you give and the extent to which you tailor the conversations that you have with people, that is what conveys that credibility. So what, what I'd suggest, maybe on, on tables, if we, just, um, if we just have three minutes conversation about actually... What, what's the sense of, in your disciplines, what is it that academic employers are wanting? Um, and maybe more interesting, because you've come from a range of different institutions, actually, what creative ways have you, have you or have you seen your peers developing that experience? Because I think, I think it's really interesting how people have developed, um, you know, how, how people have managed to get into that space. And, you know, um, Paul Francois's discussion about blogs was really interesting and about peer review. But I'm thinking of examples like that. What, how have you seen others, or your, how have you yourself managed to get that experience? So we just have a few minutes discussion on that. So I'm sorry, I'm sorry to cut it off at that point. So. So I'm sorry to cut us off at that point, and I, um, I suppose it, it's, yeah. Well, anyway, it, 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 there's, there's not very much time, so I'm sorry. I'm sorry to cut us off at that point. I'm sure lots of the things that you've, you've that you've touched on um, are around things like qualifications, on publications, on teaching experience. Practitioner experience and specialist skills, fundraising experience, departmental um, administration, understanding of the issues in higher education, networks of relevant contacts and motivation. Um, obviously, the you know the job description and the person specification is going to be, you know, the key key way to actually identify what the what the explicit needs are for any job. But I think it helps to understand the broader context too. Um, and, you know, as, as one applies for one job and then potentially the next one, you can bring in the bits um, from the previous job application, from the previous interview, because it helps give more of a rounded sense of the context. So the question on the, 
The question on the employer's mind is really about how are you going to add value in this department? Um, and I suppose track record is always going to be the best indicator um, of actually what you're going to deliver. Um, so some of the questions will be around your publications. Have you, have you finished the PhD? Have you managed to publish at all? Have you, as, as, as uh, the, the previous speaker was saying, how far have you managed to get your work out there? Some of the issues can be around confidence to, develop, uh, to, to defend your work effectively. How effectively can you communicate your work to a range of audiences? One of the things that I think people are often a bit blind to is that the role of universities is to teach, um, to support student learning. So one of the things, depending on the institution that you're interested in, um, they're very, very interested now in evidence of ability to teach. Um, and we'll come back to that, but things like developing curriculum, innovative assessment methods, thinking about effective um, teaching with different groups and different target groups, um, all of that is really, really key to the role. Um, ability to write successful research bids. Um, again, that's, um, if you can't get the money in, you're not going to be able to work on the issues that matter to you. So for a potential employer, that's going to be one of the things that they're really, really interested in. And I think one of the things that people are interested in too is they're looking at you as a colleague, but as a, a co-collaborator. They're wondering about your thoughts, your, your position, your effectiveness as a thought leader, and how likely are you to take the department, to take them potentially, in interesting, productive new directions, yeah? So it's partly about likability, but also it's the potential for synergy between your research and their research, or the two of yours research as things progress. So it differs dramatically, that mix, by institution yeah, and by discipline. But for example, if you think about the Open University, which I'm guessing lots of you know quite well, we, we are a research-intensive institution, so obviously your publication record, your research, your, your ability um, and your track record as a career thought leader, as a thought leader, is really, really vital. But we're dealing with students who may have had bad experience with formal education, who may be at a distance. So actually some of what we're looking for now is we're very, very interested in, in teachers who have, in people who've got some experience of teaching and who've reflected on actually what worked, what didn't work, who are reflective teachers. And we're very, very interested too in people who've got experience with online delivery because those are the key issues within the Open University. Obviously, if you're applying, for example, to Oxbridge, they may be very interested in different bits. You would anticipate in Oxbridge it would, it would maybe be more about your research productivity and your experience with um, you know, highly focused, highly targeted. Um, but again, it's, it's worth just standing back a little bit, at, so highly focused, highly targeted students. So again, it's worth standing back from, from your research to think about the institutional context, to think about the kinds of students that they're working with and what are the real issues and headaches for the academics in the department that you're applying to? What are the things that make them wake up in, in a cold sweat at 4am? And, and how can you offer solutions to that? Okay, so because I'm not an academic, I did ask, um, I asked a range of people who've both been um, chairs of academic hiring panels... Um, and also I asked successful academic job, um, job hunters, so I asked new lecturers in the OU um, and also um, chairs of academic panels, what are they looking for? What are the tips that they would be giving to you? Um, so it, it's, it's kind of on the screen, but um, I thought the, f the first one was, um, it sounds obvious, but the best candidates look at the job description and the person's specification and they address the, um, the essential requirements of the job very, very clearly and methodically, making it clear which bit they're addressing. Okay, so if you haven't applied for jobs for a while, just to be really clear, what you're being shortlisted against are the, the essential bits of the job description, and because it's a competitive market, also the desirable bits. So make it very, very easy 
to those who are shortlisting how you're meeting that, what evidence you're citing against that and which bit you're talking to in your application. Others were talking particularly about making clear that you knew what's going on in the department. And you've really, you're really, really aiming to do a great deal of research before you put in any application about actually what is the research in the department? How do you see yours developing in that area? Where's, where does your research fit or where could it potentially fit into the research centres that they've got in that institution? Not necessarily just in your department, but in other parallel disciplines. How could you add value? And again, we're not just talking esoterically here, we're also thinking very concretely. If you thought potentially you could develop work in this area or that area in one year, in five years, where potentially could you go for funding for it? And that then makes you think, that then makes you show very definitely that you're not just talking hypothetically, that you've really put yourself in the shoes of a practising new academic. You've researched some of the resources of, research, uh, the sources of funding for your area. You've thought about it, you know what your criteria are, and this is how you could concretely add value to the work that they're doing and take it in a new direction. Um, I spoke, for example, to um, somebody in the education department here who's very, very experienced. And she was saying, for example, in education at the OU, um, we're, offering, um, we're offering learning to practitioners. So they, we need somebody who's not just got a really good research record, but also got the practitioner experience. But she was saying, for example, she's an external examiner elsewhere um, at a very research-intensive institution. And there, what they're caring about is just the publication record. So again, if you've got a choice of too many, job uh, too many jobs to apply for, the more that you're self-aware about, actually I measure up strongly here and, le and, and less strongly there, the more you can focus your, um, you know, the more you can focus your attempt, certainly earlier in your career. People talk as well about humility and the point about teaching experience, um, that Certainly, certainly in the OU, certainly in new universities now where you're dealing with large groups of, of, of students, um, the people who are being hired have reflected really deeply on their teaching experience, have provided evidence with really convincing teaching materials, um, and, and they, they have a sense of themselves as a teacher, as a supporter of learning, as well as a thought leader. And so what, the, what the, um, the new academic said was that they tried to focus, for example, when it wasn't going well, I tried to focus on what I was learning rather than the outcomes. Yeah, that's, that's valid for prolonged transitions. Um, people talking about researching the focuses of the academic departments. So looking at individual academics in the department and looking at what they're researching so that when you're at the buffet lunch or whatever you can be demonstrating how your research, your research and your interests three years, five years down the line can overlap with what you're doing, can lead them in a new interesting direction. You're researching their research centres, any funding they've got up, any seminars that they've, um, that they've decided to organise recently. You're talking about how it could add value, any new degrees they might be thinking of. You're being clear on your own personal priorities. For example, I spoke to one academic who was saying, you know, after a very long time of applying for things, actually he got offered, um, he got offered a job which really wasn't, it wasn't completely what it want, he wanted. It was um, a high teaching load in areas that weren't really his area of interest. And he agonised long and hard because it was a job and it was in his hand and it had been offered to him. But he thought, my priority now has to be on writing up and actually, I do believe in myself, so I'm going to turn down this job. I'm going to focus on writing up and trying to get publications for the next six months, and then I will revisit this. So again, it's about being clear what matters in your market and what matters for you. Um, and I went to a very inspiring talk recently by um, uh, a professor in the OU who, who, um, who talked very frankly about her career path about having switched from being a social worker to retraining and working as a primary teacher to being a stay-at-home mum of three for ten years 
um, to then doing doctoral research, to changing her research field, to being 46 when she got her doctorate, and making a critical choice to then, um, to then join up the dots um, and um, to, to choose an air, a new area of research, but something that did join up lots of different dots, but more importantly, that she felt really passionate about. She's now a consultant to the United Nations. She's now a professor. She's incredibly knowledgeable and reputable. But she just talks about the changes in her career that often in these areas it's not straightforward. Um, so don't, don't, don't feel it needs to be straightforward. It, it's just about being you. Okay. So creative job search. Given the high number of applications for advertised posts, it's quite likely that they will be something that will come to you a few years down the line. And so you might be more effective initially to devote more of your attentions to the um, to creative job search, to the unadvertised job market. Okay? Um, and for example, in the UK, something like 60% of jobs don't go advertised, and particularly for things like short-term, fixed-term, um, teaching assistant jobs, um, associate lecturers and so on. Uh, filling in for somebody who's just gone on maternity leave, that kind of thing, it's very, very likely that might not be advertised as widely as something that is a permanent role. So build relationships with departments that you're interested in, with departments that are geographically close to you, that departments are key in, in, in your field. Think to yourself, to what extent would you be willing to work at two institutions at the same time and shuttle between the two? Think about how you can, as, you know, as again the previous, um, the previous speaker was saying, you know, how can you get yourself out there? If we're talking about the credibility, people actually believe people that they've seen in action doing things. So, for example, as an academic thought leader, you'd be expected to, to bring things into being. How far have you organised a conference? Um, could you organise a small conference in your area? Um, could, you, could you blog on a small scale joining somebody else's um, blog and just put something out once every two months um, I really appreciate the difficulties for you as part time students as well and one of the things that I, I'd really recommend is considering information interviews so you don't necessarily have to do the job yourself what you could do is be um, speaking with somebody in your department and saying, can I ask you about the things you bear in mind when you're designing assessment, when you're um, building a curriculum, when you're designing a module, when you're incorporating innovative learning activities? What are the, you know, what's the critical thinking that you've got? What good examples have you got about how you've done that? Um, so that, you know, five, five um, information interviews with people who've got a diversity of experience could actually give you some fantastic examples to bring up in a job interview. Having, having a network of peers, um, I know it can be really difficult when you feel, you may feel implicitly, actually I'm competing against these people. I would really advise... It makes a big difference to have a network of people who are in similar situations. You don't have to disclose everything that you're going through. But um, do swap phone numbers with people who are in overlapping fields, with people who are working in institutions or who are being supervised in institutions which are geographically where you might like to be, which have got the, um, you know, the profile where you'd like to be, so that when you get that job interview and you're desperate to find out, actually, I don't really understand this issue they can talk you through in a 10-minute conversation actually how that presents in the institution that you're applying to. LinkedIn um, is fantastic. Can, can, I, can I just have a show of hands? How many people have got LinkedIn profiles? Yeah, great. Okay, so about half of you, and I would say, do, if you haven't got one, do, because it makes you easily findable. If you think six months down the line, um, if, you, if you're aware of some teaching work in your department that you'd like to offer or you'd like to alert the person that you sat next to today to, it's probably quite difficult finding them unless you've both got LinkedIn profiles. There are also great groups there, so groups of PhD researchers, for example, groups of people who are working in your field. And, you know, whenever I'm, I'm doing something new, I'm looking at... What, what research there already is out there in my field to, to slow the learning curve for me.
And, I mean, again, in the previous session, we talked briefly about how we describe our research and your your 30-second elevator pitch, thinking about how you actually change that for different contexts, how you... um, I mean, I thought you all did a brilliant job there, but, again, that's something that's worth thinking about. If you're stuck in an elevator with somebody who you want to speak to, can you, in 30 seconds, get from a standing start to actually ask the question, have you got at the front of your mind, actually, what would help you most as the next step? Um, so, again, that, that's, that's a useful thing to bear in mind. People's networks. Often, um, I think one of the questions that's really helpful to think about is, is my network fit for purpose? Our network is all often like vestigial, you know, it's kind of like the appendix or something. It's it's left from a previous existence rather than necessarily fit for where we want to get to. And I would suggest it's one of the things that it's actually worth investing time in, thinking about where is it I'd like to be next? How can I put some effort into developing a network that isn't, it's not dumping what I've got already, but it's also putting out feelers towards people who would be interested in what I want to do in the new context and also can support my learning, can support where I want to get to. How confident do I feel asking for support on areas where I feel less secure? We've all got massive areas where we feel less secure. But for example, before you come to the panel interview for academic job hunting, it's likely there are going to be areas where A, you want to be put through your paces in a really tricky interview as a practice, but B, you're going to want to ask people, actually, can you help me with this? I don't really get that. So... Practicing now, building the relationships now with your network so that you're putting things in, but also so, you, so you've practiced that muscle, so you feel able to ask for support before, before you actually need it. Okay, so academic jobs, they tend to, they tend to say, um, please phone for informal inquiries, and I would really, really urge you, do that. Okay. Make sure you've done all the research beforehand. You found out all the stuff that's publicly available about the people in the department, about their research focuses. You've done a Google search about funding they've won recently, about conferences that are coming up and so on. Do all the things that are publicly available, but then do pick up the phone and speak to the person who's, um, who's given, given their name because it makes you feel a bit more confident but also it's a way of making you stand out from the crowd because lots of people won't do it. Yeah? You're wanting to be focused. You're not wanting to waste their time. But things that you could be asking about are, for example, um, plans for new talk courses, future plans for funding, line management, mentoring arrangements, provision of specialist facilities required for the job, intellectual property matters, for example. But it's about... Showing interest, and it's about being a little bit memorable, but memorable in a good way. Academic jobs tend to ask for a statement of academic research interest, which is, it's about a proposal for future academic research. And what you're aiming to do is to show how your future plans build on your current expertise and your achievements. For you, I mean, the majority of your practitioners as well, you know, if you can build that in as well, that's really interesting. Where are the overlaps between your, your existing work experience, your experience as a practitioner, and the research you're hoping to do and the research the department does? You're wanting to tailor, always, if, if we're thinking again about it's the credibility, isn't it? We're wanting to tailor every application to the needs of this new institution. So you're tailoring your experience to the proposed project, and you're structuring it by, you know, the structure of the project, the aims, the achievements, the relevant techniques. It's really good to have in mind possible sources of research funding, as we've said. And also to consider what published benef- what benefits there may be in concrete terms. What, what, what difference is this going to be, make? You know, what's the impact? So, for example, you know, a, a, good, a, a good answer could be something like, you know, in the next year I'll be finishing up the revision of my PhD um, for a book with this title, which is due for publication on X date. 
I've got several other projects on the go that I want to pursue after that, giving some, some concrete ideas. If my, funding, um, if my funding application to X grant body and Y grant body are successful, I should be able to see these projects to publication by Z date. Yeah? So it's trying to be concrete. It's trying to, con um, it's trying to convey that sense that you've thought about these things. You would be a safe pair of hands. thought we might do a, a speed advising exercise but I think what we'll do is if we leave that for now but basically what we were going to do because I would urge you to do it over coffee or at some other point is to think about one of the questions that you came with what's on your mind and actually how could you canvas the people around you your, your peers for advice on it so for example if what you're really worried about is actually everybody's going on about networking about building profile but I'm an introvert how could I do that Actually, just canvassing your peers for opinion, um, because actually you are the experts here. You've got such a lot of knowledge between you and creative ideas from your own environments. So breaking down the, feel that the, the, the things that we feel a bit nervous and anxious about into actual learning needs and then asking for support on them. Okay, so we've, we've looked at ourselves what we want. We've looked at what the organisation wants. Um, we've got a sense of the values that we've got. We're then getting on to the stuff that is very clearly around job hunting, the bits that everybody else sees, the, the top of the iceberg, academic CVs. I, um, I've got a whole range of, um, of really, really brilliant, there are some fantastic... Um, there are some fantastic websites for um, and resources for postdoctoral researchers seeking work. Okay. And, um, and, I, and the, the, the handouts are going around, but I would say these are the bits, academic CVs and so on, are the bits that are covered really well there as well. So as with any job application, the really key things are thinking deeply what the needs are, and then communicating with clarity how, and evidence how you meet the needs. And so what they're interested in are your academic achievements and your research interests, your publications, um, your research experience, and you're including things like your specialist technical expertise, your IT skills, um, your relevant skills and experience for your field and discipline. On the education, you're including awards, the name of your doctoral supervisor, the funding body, if you're being funded. Um, you're, you're showing um, any funding that you've been awarded, and it's really worth, um, again, we were talking about developing a digital profile. It's really worth developing a funding profile, too. So if you can apply for small-scale grants, even if you haven't been funded now, apply for small-scale grants to attend a conference or whatever, so that you can demonstrate that you've actually... You've done that. You've applied for funding. You've, you've, you've made a competitive funding application. Others externally have thought that you're good. That, that all, all adds weight to an application later. You're giving details, and you're giving details in the breadth and the depth of your experience about your teaching experience, from lecturing to supervision to demonstrating to curriculum development to assessment to marking. You're thinking about have you had experience of administrative experience in your department? Um, it's good to get experience of that too, because, for example, understanding, seeing if you can, can attend an exam board, if you can, um, can you be a fly on the wall um, to actually find out how people do things, so that it's not such a, a cold turkey experience when you actually get your first job in an, an academic institution. What about outreach? Again, when we talked about how you communicate your research with different target groups, for example, getting involved with a visit from school pupils, um, things that you may be doing in your work anyway, how are you communicating what you do to people with very different backgrounds, whether they're your peers, whether they're other academic researchers, whether academic researchers in different disciplines, or whether they're students?
Okay, academic interviews. Of course, this is the bit that people feel particularly nervous about. And again, I'd say, do, 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 have a look at um, and the brilliant websites. For example, the Manchester website, um, Academic Career, um, has got some fantastic... Um, has got some fantastic resources. The Vitae website, um, again, has got some you know, really superlative... You could spend days reading their, their targeted careers resources. Um, so some of the questions that people, people have said to me that they've been asked. What ideas do you have for future research? What are the, future, um, the potential funding sources? And again, the tips that people have given me have, have been to say, if you can break it down into a one-year, five-year seven-year objectives, um, well, not objectives, but a sense of this is where you'd hope to be. It makes you sound very, very concrete. Which teaching skills have you developed in the last year? What can you do to encourage student participation in seminars? Have you convened a team talk module? What challenges would there be? How would you handle these? Yeah, so about teamwork in an academic context. How do you see the relationship between research and teaching? How would you change the, the teaching of X? Yeah? So, it would, I'd, I'd argue, particularly for these kind of jobs, it makes a massive difference to research beforehand, to, to practice beforehand. See if you can ask your supervisor, when you get to that stage, see if you can ask your supervisor and somebody else to put you through your paces for an academic panel interview. Ask them to give you a hard time. Yeah? Um, <laughs> get feedback. If you go for a job and you're not successful, wait till you've calmed down a bit and ask for feedback. Because it does make a massive difference to hear, actually, you did incredibly well. There were 20 applicants, you were the second choice. And, and the other person has been working in the department for the last five years. Yeah? Your... I was talking over lunch with somebody who was saying it's quite difficult to, to chunk down the experience of a PhD because... It's a lot in your own head, and it can be difficult to frame it in small enough bits. So I think one of the things that I didn't learn about until really quite late was the, um, a way to frame um, answers in interview and on application forms, which is the STAR model. So if you've got, um, if you're wanting to talk about your, um, your PhD research in the field in Pakistan, um, then actually having a bit of a framework, the STAR framework, can make quite a difference. So the situation, for example, which is half a sentence, and that's what you're talking about, What um, so the context. As the student rep on the departmental committee, yeah, half a sentence which sets it, sets the framework for others. The task, what you personally were responsible for, yeah, I was responsible for half a sentence, the action, I did this by, and then you're thinking of three action points. So for your kind of work, it could be about your critical thinking. I took in mind this, that, and the other. Yeah, But you're talking about something very concrete. Um, I needed to consider X, Y, Z. And then the result, yeah? the outcome, the results, the learning, the feedback from others. What I'd suggest is before an application form, before a job interview, what you're doing is you're looking through the, the skills that are being sought on the job description and you're thinking through all the bits of your experience, okay, what are the best examples I've got for this, um, for this, for this job? And so you're, you're practising, you're making sure that you've got all the statistics, you've got the feedback, you've got it off pat. So... You aren't going cold, and then when they ask you a question on teamwork, you haven't really got an example there. And ideally, you've got two or three examples for each one, in case you've forgotten about it. But the more you can practice these, these brief stars, it's about telling your anecdotes quickly um, and in a coherent way, so you've actually worked out how you frame it, what your narrative is best for this particular panel. That makes a massive difference, again, in the credibility Okay, so the key resources, as I mentioned, the Vitae site. So Vitae do 
I think they're probably funding this work this, um, this day, but VTI are a network um, that support researcher, um, researcher developments and researcher development careers. They've got some fantastic careers workshop, uh, careers literature and videos and so on on their site. Um, the academic career at Ma- manchester.ac.uk, again, that's been funded nationally to support people in your situation. Again, beyond the phd.co.uk, that's got some fantastic videos, again, from people talking, um, from researchers um, and then later academics talking about their situation and what they did and how they felt about it. Um, There are some some various job sites. I'd also really advise, I mean, have a look on Twitter because there are are some really useful alerts on Twitter. I've put the details of um, two Twitter handles I found really interesting. Um, You've got, the, you've got the handouts, which have got a whole range of, of information. The, um, I would say, do bear in mind your career service. Okay? I'm not a specialist um, postdoctoral um, careers advisor, but there are, in, in many institutions, there are specialist postdoctoral careers advisors. And they would really be the people to go to if you're wanting support because they see people in your situation every day. Um, If you're in a science or a particularly technical area, bearing in mind that the career service of your professional body, so for example, the Royal Society of Chemists has got a fantastic career service. Um, And, you know, when I have a chemistry query and I I can't quite get my head around it, I always refer people to speak to the specialists there. Um, Vitae run great national workshops. Um, And it may be as well that you're going through a difficult transition and actually what you'd like is a practice interview or something. And you'd like... um, So it's also worth bearing in mind, for example, that the careers group at the University of London, um, they... um, Well, because they're the University of London, they're a very large careers service, but they also offer um, practice interviews and career guidance... (coughs) Um, for people, so you pay, so you don't have to be from the University of London at all, and it's £160 for an hour. So I would also say, because they see a large number of postdoctoral people, um, that's also worth bearing in mind. If you're at an institution where there aren't a large number of postdoctoral researchers, that's another way you can get the access. But I'd go through places like Vita and so on first. I'm guessing probably you're pretty tired but I would say I'm not going to ask people but I think it's it's before you leave the room it's really really worth actually thinking what do you commit to yourself that you want to take on board not not necessarily from this but from the day what are the two or three learning points and action points that you want to take on board for your next steps because I think if you don't if you don't write them down, if you don't note them for yourself, you're unlikely to actually action them, which you've got back to, to everyday life. Um, and also, I would say, you know, think about your peer group. Think about your peers here. Whose contact details would you like to get from from the group here? Who who could you support? Whose research is in similar areas? Who is close to you geographically? Who did you just think actually they'd be quite a laugh when I'm feeling a bit frantic about something? Um, Thank you. Thank you very much.